Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Everybody, I got to tell you this. I'm about to get schooled. I'm about to learn something. I've been doing this for a really long time. And so I get really excited when I find someone who's an expert in a field of something that's different. It's unique. And it's helping people all over the world, is my understanding. So we got Dr. Benjamin Perkis with us today. He's a licensed psychologist. He has combined 25 years of private practice experience with 19 years of using essential oils to create a unique modality for dissolving negative thoughts, feelings, and memories called the Aroma Freedom Technique. This integrative modality incorporates elements of EMDR, NET, polyvagal theory, somatic psychology, meditative awareness, trauma therapy, and aromatherapy in a unique yet simple way. He found the process to be so successful that he left his private practice to teach and certify people worldwide in this modality. There are currently over 800 certified practitioners in 39 states and 19 countries, and this approach continues to spread worldwide due to its universal effectiveness in so many areas of life. Dr. Perkins is the author of The Aroma Freedom Technique and has lectured wildly about this process through his online portal at aromafreedom.com. He lives in upstate New York with his wife and his daughter, two cats, and a golden retriever. His mission is to spread this modality throughout the world in order to empower individuals to be free of past burdens and actualize their dreams and goals. Dr. Perkins, thank you so much for taking time to be a part of Flip Your Lid. So welcome. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for having me. So I'd love to learn more about it, but let's let's start with this. Uh, I would like to know what, what life event, what experience have you had that flipped your lid and talk to us about the measures you've taken to reconnect to who you really are. Yeah, well, I, I thought about that question because I knew you were going to be asking it, right. and I reflected on it a little bit. And um, I'm not one of these people that um, had one experience that in adulthood really flipped my lid. So when I really thought back on it, I just kept tracing in my life back to some of the most impactful experiences from childhood. Mm-hmm. And probably the biggest for me was my parents' divorce. And uh, my parents got divorced when I was about nine or 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And it was an amicable divorce and as much as they could be. So um, it's not like it was awful custody battles or anything like that. Um, But I think what that did is that kind of set me up on an unstable foundation that then set me on a quest to really learn about psychology, learn about my own emotions, learn about the human brain and my spirit and my place in the world. And when I think back on it, you know, that experience really just set me up to be a seeker, to be someone who um, just kept wanting to find satisfaction, find purpose, find my place in life. And so when I kind of walk forward from that event now 40 some years ago, I can see how the different experiences I had throughout my life kind of was really about gathering all the wisdom that I needed to be able to find my true life purpose. And I, I believe that all of us have kind of a second birth when we, when we discover who we really are meant to be here. And so it's kind of like we have our first birth 
you know, into our family. And then our second birth is our birth into who we really are. And so I kind of feel like that's, that's what had been coming for me. And where I am right now really feels like a fruition uh, of that purpose. And uh, that's why I feel so passionate about sharing what I'm doing. uh, And um, so excited to see people help them have those awakening experiences also. Yeah, you said so many key words and just such such a powerful thing about just knowing that even with the divorce being amicable, you're still nine, right? You're still developing and your your understanding of the world for nine years just shattered, just changed. And and I love the word of seeker that you're just out trying to figure out seeking. And but you're that type that once you found something that helps you have to re, be reborn to find your second birth, you didn't keep it just for yourself. Yeah, that's right. And um, interestingly, you know, my my process went, I went from engineering school to creative writing, eventually got my degree in philosophy. And then really, I only got into psychology because you can't really make a living as a philosopher. So I decided to go to psychology as a way to kind of continue that quest for understanding in a way that was kind of practical. And, and I kind of had this sense that if I just got, stayed in philosophy and academia then I could just kind of float off into the clouds and not really do anything meaningful. And I felt that psychology was an opportunity to keep it very personal with people. But I didn't go into psychology. I know this sounds funny. I didn't go into psychology initially to help people. I really went in just as a continuation of that quest for understanding. And I I realized it was a, a side effect of the more understanding I got about how things worked, the more people transformed and opened up and felt healed and felt saved and felt like they really could live again. And then that's what started to make an impact on me. And I started getting almost addicted to that feeling of like, wow, this person really, they felt so grateful. I'd like more of that. And so um, that's really kind of how it grew into this uh, desire to help people. So that, that became the connection for you. That's what started helping you reconnect to yourself, connect to other people. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've found that people who go in the world of psychology, and obviously I did, that we go in thinking we're going to help people. We're really going in to try to deal with our own internal system. Yeah. All right? you, you just went in with more clarity and more honesty it's, than it's, I think I've most of us. The other side, but ultimately both sides, you have to handle right. both sides. You, can't help, you can only help others to the extent that you can help yourself. That's right. You can't walk anybody any further than you have walked, right? Yeah. And we can't ask our patients to do something we're not willing to do. Right. Yeah, definitely. And so to prepare for this with you, I did do a session with one of the people, practitioners that you have you certified in this. So I would love for you because this is there's a lot of similarities to you know to other types of modalities that, that I love and that I use and that we mentioned in, in your opening. But there's some differences. There's some stark differences as well. So could you kinda of explain, you know, aroma, freedom and the technique and everything to, to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So um Shortly after I got my graduate degree, I remember I was working at a, my postdoctoral internship. Uh, it was the first time I was really seeing clients 40 hours a week. And I remember it only took me a week or two of that. And I said, uh-oh, I think I need more training. I realized <laughs> that just talking with people wasn't enough. It felt like it wasn't going deep enough into their, their brain and their body. And so that's when I got EMDR training. Right. And um, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Most of your listeners are probably familiar with it. Right. But it's about processing trauma. And um, I used that for a few years. Wonderful modality. 
I got a lot of benefit from it personally and my, my clients did as well. And then I kept integrating other things and, you know, the tapping and neurofeedback and muscle testing and, um, you know, family constellation, lots of different pieces that I put in. And I had a breakthrough that came probably 10 years ago now uh, when I was, I had someone who had, uh, you know, a, hist- a trauma history. And so I was going to set up to do EMDR, but um, instead of using uh, the eye movements, by this time, I had been using essential oils for a decade. Um, I decided to have her smell the essential oils instead of using eye movements. Mm. And it was amazing what happened. She found that the uh, the traumatic image just kind of dissolved and, 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 and got further away, and which can happen with the MDR, but this happened fast. It happened within about 30 seconds. And she wasn't. it wasn't intense for her, and it wasn't tiring for her. And she started... Um, spontaneously just getting more positive thoughts and more positive ideas. And as those of you who know MDR know that that's what happens in EMDR, but it, it, it's, it can be a little bit grueling to get to that place. And this was happening so much more quickly that it really got my attention. So I experimented some more and, um, and I realized that, you know, by using kind of an EMDR setup of identifying the image of the traumatic image, the feeling, the bodily sensation, the negative thought, which is, which is that memory complex that EMDR does such a great job of explaining, connecting all that, smelling the oils, and then just noticing what happens, the memories just kind of fade away. So that was kind of my one-trick pony, you know, for a while. <laughs> I loved the oils. I used them personally. My wife and I would you know, teach classes on using them for headaches or belly aches or, or that sort of thing. But I didn't really know how to use them clinically um, because there was no recipe book for it. So I had that one thing to do. And then it was about four years ago, I really felt something stirring in me, kind of this desire to to find a technique, not just for all the big T traumas that people have, but what about all the little T things, Mm -hmm. the frustration, the disappointments, the hurts? The little things in our lives, like in my case, I wouldn't have called the divorce that my parents went through, I wouldn't have called it traumatic. And yet, obviously, it had a big effect on my my belief about the world, my belief right, about sure. myself, right? So, and we're all, we're, we all have thousands of these experiences and, and thoughts and beliefs within us. So, I kind of felt this kind of stirring up within me. And um, I was actually on a trip to Asia. Um, I had gone over there to do some training, uh, teach people about essential oils, about trauma. And I remember I, I, I bought a book when I was over there called The Trauma of Everyday Life. I thought, well, this is perfect. This is, this is what I'm talking about here. I, got, I read that book. It was so depressing. Basically, all it was saying is that everyday life is traumatic. <laughs> like, that wasn't, wasn't really what I meant. So, That's great. I love uh, it. So, but I was also reading another book at that time. It made a big impact on me called um, The Untethered Soul, Michael Singer. Mm, yeah, yes. Phenomenal book. And right. what he talked about was... Uh, that he calls it the inner roommate. And I like how he describes mm-hmm. it. It's that, that little uh, conversation that you're always having with yourself. And uh, and he took that in the direction of, you know, meditative direction of, okay, just notice it. And the more you notice it, you realize you're not that. And so you can kind of like separate yourself out from that. And there's a lot of cognitive therapy and meditative techniques that involve kind of getting that separation from that voice. But I took it in a different direction and I realized that this was kind of the capstone of what I needed because I realized if you listen for that negative voice 
after you've set a goal of where you want to go in life, and then you listen for the negative voice that pops up, and then you connect, well, how do you feel when you hear that voice? Where do you feel in your body? Drift back to a negative memory. You've gone back and you've found the source of that negative voice that is really interfering with you reaching that goal. So when I got back from this trip, um, I told my wife, we were living in Virginia at the time, I told her, I said, it's here. I said, I'm going to write my book. Mm -hmm. I had known for 20 years that I wanted to write a book. I knew I could write a book, but I never had. And it just hadn't come. And it felt like now is time. So right. I, um, I told her it's time. And as it happened, the essential oil convention we were going to go to was in a couple months. And so I said, I'm going to give myself 30 days and I'm going to write this book. And so every day I went to the library and I was researching and, and I, really, I put together this 12-step process because so I really wanted to create something that was duplicatable. Like I could do great things in the office, but I mm -hmm. wanted something that other people could do as well. Right. That was teachable. So it had to be in a recipe format. So I created the 12-step process and I tried it on myself. And it was amazing. First time I tried it, my negative thoughts went away. Mm. And I tried it with everyone I tried it with. They had the same experience. They said, wait, what just happened? These negative thoughts that I've been carrying around about this goal, my frustration, my concern that I couldn't do it. They just vanished and people just were replaced with this feeling of, of hopefulness and confidence. So I knew I was on to something, but by that point, I was down to just 15 days left in my 30 days to write the book. I had some notes, but I didn't have anything on paper. So, so I did the process on myself and I realized that every time I felt doubt or confusion, if I did the process on myself, I would just break through. So I, I did the process on myself and sure enough, partway through it, this thought just came to my head. It said 150 page book. That's just 10 pages a day for 15 days. How hard is that? Mm. And I came out of that and I just, I knew I was going to do it. I did my affirmation every day. As you'll see later, there's affirmations at the end of the session. I write 10 pages a day. So every day I just wrote my 10 pages by the third or fourth day. Then I could finally see what the book was about. I didn't even realize that it was about this technique, but it kind of all came together. Sure enough, by day 15, the book was done. And wow. um, so it was really about, I realized that what it was about was using this process to break free and break through uh, to reach your goals. So it's not just about dissolving trauma, as important as that is, but it's really about where you're going, not so much where you've been. And it's important for trauma therapists and everyone to remember that, that as important as, as it is to clear those things, psychologists and therapists, they can get stuck in the past by constantly rehashing it. So it's so important that you're you're directing to where you're going. And this is from a brain perspective, this is where we're activating that frontal cortex and that we're not just staying stuck in that limbic lobe. So, right. um, so but I'll just keep going with the story. So I, um, I wrote the book, I thought, great, I'm done. And then I realized, well, it didn't have a cover and you can't release a book without a cover, but I was out of time. I didn't have any time left. So I would try to whip together a quick little cover. This is all self-publishing I was doing. And, um, my wife looked at it. She said, I don't like it. And she says, I'm not going to support this book unless it's beautiful. I said, oh, no, we don't have any time. What are we going to do? So every time I get frustrated, though, I just do the technique on myself. Mm. And I would break through the frustration and have a burst of creativity. So I realized that our creativity is right there for us whenever we need it, unless we're blocked by our beliefs, our frustration, our doubts, that sort of thing. So finally, we got through that. We got the cover. And then I was, um, I had to edit the book also because I realized you can't edit your own book. I knew what right. I wanted to say, but, and I'm a pretty good speller, but you know, you need some other outside eyes, which I understand now I get it normally takes months or years to do right, here it does. Do it in three yeah. days. 
So, but as, as we would have it, you know, God had placed us in Virginia at that time for a brief period. And we so it happened to be our best friend down there. She said, oh, I used to be an editor. So she came over and uh, we had like three days to edit this book. And so we were going through every line and, you know, and then on the second day, I remember what happened was um, we were going along and my brain just shut down. Something happened. I just literally, I couldn't think. I said, well, this is not good. How am I going to do this? So I took a walk, but I was smart enough to bring my oils with me. And I took myself through the process like I learned to do. And sure enough, go through the thought memory. And this memory pops up of this time when I was a senior in high school and I was running in my first track race. It was the mile race. And I'd never run the mile before. And I wasn't a great athlete, but I enjoyed it. But And this memory popped up at this time. I was supposed to run the mile race. And um, what happened in that experience was the gun went off and I just started sprinting as fast as I could. And so after the first round, the first you know lap, I was ahead of everybody. I thought, this is great. I'm going to win. After the second lap, I was like, I'm, you know, started thinking I was the best runner in the world. You can imagine what happened, right? You right. can't sprint. Oh, absolutely. Myself. Yeah. So my legs gave out on me. I, people started passing me. I ended up finishing, I don't know, fifth or sixth, like not terribly traumatic, but I didn't realize in that moment, my subconscious had planted a thought that says, you're not strong enough to finish. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that that subconscious thought had been there. But when I was doing the session on myself, it popped up, popped up, which is what happens. You get this stuff, information that comes. So I realized that this current sprint of trying to finish the editing of this book was similar enough to my reptilian brain, was similar enough to um, this other experience that was painful that it says, well, I'm just going to shut his brain off so we can't have that problem again. So as soon as I realized what was going on, I breathed the oils into the memory, memory complex dissolved, and then my brain turned back on. Mm. And I went inside, I finished, we finished editing, we got it published, I went out and um, started distributing the book. And so I tell that story as an example of how we can have these little landmines inside of us, these um, experiences that we don't even realize we've created negative thoughts from. And by the way, one of the things this process has shown me is that most of the negative thoughts that are in our heads are self-created. There are a few, sometimes there's something that a parent says to us that we, in, you know, we, we, we bring into us, but the majority of the time we ourselves have created this thought. And the reason we create that thought is for self-protection. It's because we experience something painful in childhood or adulthood anytime. And our brain is always there trying to protect us. And so, okay, well, you, you tried to talk in class and you got the wrong answer and you were laughed at. Well, I'm going to make sure you don't do that again. Mm-hmm. Oh, you asked that girl out. She said, no, well, I'm going to make sure you don't do that again. Um, you uh, were ashamed for some reason. Well, I'm going to make sure you don't show yourself in that way. So your brain is always developing. And these um, this is our defense, developing these uh, kind of protective beliefs, mm-hmm. um, supposedly to protect us. But the trouble is it also imprisons us. It puts us inside of this kind of like network of negative thoughts that we that, that guide what we think is possible. So then you come to adulthood and you want to do something. You want to publish a book. You want to marry someone. You want to, you know, whatever it is you want to do. If that triggers one of these negative beliefs, then you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to procrastinate. You're going to make excuses. You're going to, without realizing it, you're going to sabotage. You're going to find some way for that not to happen. And so really what Aroma Freedom is about, it's about identifying your heart's desire, what you really want to see happen, 
and then finding out what those blockers are that that are within you, tracing them back to their origin, clearing them out using the oils, so breathing the oils into those memories until they dissolve. And then, um, but all this happens so quickly in the course of a session, might take 30, 45 minutes or so. You might go through clear two or three or four different key memories. You're clearing them, you're releasing from them, and then you're ready to go. And then you're excited to reach your goal. So that's that's kind of how Aroma Freedom developed. And it was literally, so this was June 2016. By July 2016, people were asking me for certification in this, mm-hmm. which I had not planned at all. I, all right. I just thought, oh, it's just a little technique. But people, they wanted to be trained from all over the world. And I realized, even though the technique is simple, people are complicated. And so uh, people need some unlearning, to, especially therapists and coaches need some unlearning of other tools that they've had and ways that they're used to doing things so they can follow the process and have people reach these breakthroughs. So that's really kind of how the whole process got started. Yeah, it's so so many, it's so powerful, but so many things you said are just so on point, and I think it really helps people because a lot of people who come into a therapist's office, and, and really the reason why you walk in the door is not usually what you end up working on, even though that same thing will get resolved. But part of what you're saying, Dr. Perkins, so well, is that people have little traumas meaning something happens. And so when it is big and it's noticeable, like it's a horrible car accident, it's a loss of a parent at, a, at any age, but particularly as a young age, like you can point to that and therapeutically be able to work on that and unburden it. It's the little things that really block people in their current adult lives that they don't consider trauma. And so if you're in class and someone laughs at you for asking the question, like that's shame come from the outside, then your conditioned self, not who you really are, your conditioned self will develop the protective part, right? It will, and that goes very much in the internal family systems and the manager parts and all the firefighter parts and all that. And so you'll think it's you. People will really think it's their own voice and it's just a protector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so um, the thing that, the other thing I want to mention about um you ask some of the differences between this and some of the other techniques, right. uh, like EMDR, for instance, as I said, and I, we owe a great deal of gratitude to Francine Shapiro for developing mm-hmm. that and the, the whole concept of processing the memory and that sort of thing. Um, but one of the things that is missing from EMDR is a real strategy for which trauma to release when, mm-hmm. you know, often it'll be, okay, well, make a list of all the bad stuff that happened to you and we'll start processing through it. But what we do is different than that because we're always, we're starting out, we're future focused first. We're, where do you want to go? And then the technique will pull whichever trauma that's related to that goal. It pulls the specific one that you need to release up at that time. So it's very safe and gentle that way because you're only releasing what you're ready to release as you're moving towards that goal. Now we also can use Aroma Freedom technique, that's one technique. Uh, it's kind of my, the master technique, but in Aroma Freedom, we now have six different techniques depending on where you are. And one of them is called the memory resolution technique is more like a, as if like with EMDR, where you're starting specifically from the memory. There's a saying that I have that if you know where the problem comes from, you do this TMRT method, hmm. specific memory. If you don't know where the problem's coming from, you do Aroma Freedom technique because it's going to show you where the problem's coming from, because the memories, they're all linked together in the brain. 
not by context, but by feeling. And this is the mistake a lot of people make. You know, they might say, okay, well, I'm having trouble growing my business. So there must be some memory of some time in the past when I had a business failure. No, not necessarily. It's that that feeling might be the same. The context could be a totally different. It could be you lost a pet. Who knows what it is? Mm -hmm. But there's some similar feeling. And so that's why it's so important when we do this, we don't just talk about the thought and how it relates to other thoughts, but you're always identifying how do you feel when you hear that thought and that once you have that feeling and where do you feel it in your body? And this gets Mm -hmm. into the somatic psychology. We're always making sure that we're connecting the body because that does two things that makes sure that um, you've actually named the feeling properly because you say, well, name the feeling. They say, Oh, I feel angry. Where do you feel that in your body? Well, I don't feel my body. I just know I'm angry. Well, if you can't feel it in your body, it means you probably didn't name it properly. So right. uh, it helps us with that precision. Because um, another piece of um, of this so important is naming feelings. We call it emotional granularity. And there's mm-hmm. some neuroscience on that as well, that um, the more... The more finely you're able to describe your experience, um, the more emotion words that you have at your disposal, the better, the more mentally healthy you are. So um, learning how to name your feelings is a big piece. When we do our trainings, uh, we take as long as we need to for people to really get comfortable with that that process. Well, for me, like I enjoyed your technique and found it so much more effective for me, than EMDR, and I've been certified in EMDR for a very, very long time. Part of why it was different, that there's a creativity that comes in and a personalization that happened, even though like the questions being asked me were formulaic, like it was it was already designed, there's still, because of the essential oils and what was happening, like it still is a con- more of a connection to self for me than EMDR. There is something sterile for me. And my clientele yeah. as well about EMDR. So it was, it definitely had a creativity to it. Yeah. Well, here's one of the, one of the differences and most people who've experienced EMDR and aroma freedom says that aroma freedom is faster and gentler. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the reasons is uh, with EMDR, um, you're basically, you're deciding where you want to go ahead of time. So you're saying, okay, well, how intense is a negative feeling and what's the positive thought that you want to have, positive belief you want to have. You're kind of like setting it all up mentally. And with our process, we don't do that. Uh, we don't do it ahead of time. So you're, you're processing the memory and spontaneously what happens as that memory dissolves, you will spontaneously get some wisdom coming through. And depending on your belief system, you might feel like it's your logical mind kicking mm-hmm. in. You may mm-hmm. feel like the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You right. might get a, a verse of scripture coming in. So uh, you kind of end up with this inner wisdom, inner guidance that's coming through you, um, but it happens from that space of um, of openness that's created by the essential oils. Yeah, openness is a great word for it, right, and what's happening. So I have a curiosity because the, the oils that were sent to me for the session, for those of you watching on YouTube, I have a memory release blend, I had a release blend, um, believe, and inner child blend. And so... Most of us, I mean, a lot of people are into essential oils, but it doesn't mean that they've ever seen an inner child essential oil. So would love to know about that and, and how that came to be. Sure. So uh, so the oils that we use, I mean, we use oils from Young Living. Um, it's just a company we've always been with. And um, the way I picked the specific oils that we use for the process, um, 
Young Living has a blend called Trauma Life, which was specifically for trauma, but that had gone out of stock years ago uh, when essential oils worldwide just kind of took off and there were some shortages. And so I looked at the starter kit. I said, well, which oils is everyone going to have? Because I wanted this to be a technique everyone could use. And I looked at the starter kit and frankincense, lavender, and stress away, which is a blend that contains vanilla oil. Those three jumped out at me because there's references in the book. Um, there's scientific data on the effectiveness of each of those oils to calm us in different pathways. The lavender calms us in the opioid pathway. The um, frankincense calms us in these ion channels in the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and the vanilla calms us in, in yet another way. And so when you combine those three, it's a very soothing, calming blend. So I call it the memory release blend. So it's just a blend equal parts of those three. And then uh, the inner child, that's, that's a blend that you know, Gary Young created. And I believe he was divinely inspired when he would set his intention of, um, you know, here's what I want. And the intention for inner child is to connect to your true self. That's really mm -hmm. what um, that inner child oils intention is. Um, I'm not an aromatherapist. I, you know, I don't have the ability like he did to, create these masterpieces, but I, I use them for many years in my practice and myself. And so when I was creating the process, we're using the, uh, the memory release blend, using inner child and then release oil. He created specifically for anger, irritation, rage, frustration, like that side of things. And, um, that he believes was held in the liver, which is you know, from Chinese medicine. Mm. Um, so we have that. And then, so those are all for releasing the, the memories. And then at the end, we like to use an oil for um, activating the, um, the affirmation. So we use either believe, just about belief in yourself, or transformation is another oil. My favorite personally is transformation um, for that. And uh, so basically, we're using the oils mostly to calm the amygdala. I do want to share a little bit about... Um, I only discovered about a year after writing the book how it actually works from a neuroscience perspective. Yeah. And um, I did want to touch on that because it's so interesting. So um, I had a kind of an intuitive sense of why, uh, of how they worked. And, you know, basically the idea was that you can only feel um, one thing at a time. It can be a complex feeling, but so when you are, remembering and you're imagining remembering a traumatic incident, you're going to feel whatever you feel related to that, you know, terror, fear, nervousness, shame, whatever it is that gets triggered when you picture that. And um, so when you're doing that and, and then you smell an oil, the oil, it goes along the olfactory pathway, which is a survival pathway. So mm -hmm. the sense of smell is our most primitive sense and uh, it develops before the other senses. And, we share it even with single-celled organisms um, in something like a protozoa or something. It might not be called smell. It might just be called a chemical sense. It's this basic sense of, is something good for me or is something bad for me? How do I find food? How do I avoid predators? Hmm. How do I avoid you know, things that will hurt me? And this evolves, of course, through animals and humans as well into the sense of smell and the sense of smell in the animal kingdom. We know that it helps animals find food find mates, avoid predators. And because it's a survival sense, it's hardwired. It's like a fast internet connection. It goes from the, uh, the nose to the limbic system in the brain to the amygdala, really, mm -hmm. to trigger that. So it does two things. It can The amygdala 
which most of us know about as kind of like the alarm switch in the brain that triggers us into that fight or flight survival response, or conversely can trigger us into the parasympathetic relaxation response. That's the amygdala, right? Well, guess what else the amygdala does? It processes smell. So Mm -hmm. what happens is we're focusing on a traumatic memory. Our amygdala is going to be activated because it doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. You're imagining a house fire that happened. You're there and it's triggering the alarm bells, the stress hormones and everything Mm -hmm. going off. Well, if while you are doing that, you are smelling these specific calming oils, they flick the switch Mm -hmm. and they calm the amygdala down. And now the brain kind of gets confused because it says, well, wait a minute, I'm looking at this traumatic memory, but I don't feel bad. What's going on? Well, I guess that negative belief isn't true. And I guess I'm not in danger. I guess I'm safe. And it kind of does this reset and it brings you into the present moment of being able to see it for what it is, which is an image in the screen of your mind. is just a memory, but it's one that doesn't trigger anything in you. So that's kind of my intuitive understanding, which is still true of, um, of how it works. But then about a year after writing the book, um, I was contacted by a chiropractor who um, had ex- come across my work and he said, you know, what you're doing is memory reconsolidation. And I mm-hmm. said, what's that? He said, well, it's a line of neuroscience research since about 2004 that, and this has been done in, you know, crabs and rats and humans and snakes and, and uh, across species, what they find is that when you activate a memory, especially an emotionally charged memory, you get it activated, which means you're feeling the feelings in relation to it. And um, that the neurons that are holding that memory in place, they actually unlock. And they unlock for about five hours. There's a specific five-hour window during which they're looking for new information. And if they find new information, then they rewire, they reconsolidate in a new direction. Mm-hmm. If they don't get any new information, then they lock back the way they were. Wow. And so there's specific... Um, there's specific conditions that are needed in order for the rewiring to occur. It has to be activated viscerally. It has to be um, within that five-hour window, some new information. So what happens, I realized the reason why Aroma Freedom works and a lot of other therapies as well that do reconsolidation. EMDR actually probably works along this uh, framework as well, just not as efficiently is um, that the essential oils are the new information that the neurons are getting. So you're activating the neurons, they uncouple, you're giving new information that basically says you're safe. Mm -hmm. And so then it rewires in a new direction. And now you permanently have a different wiring in relation to that memory. So now when you think of that memory, you don't feel upset. You feel fine. You have a new perspective. You understand it from your adult perspective or from wherever you are Mm -hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So we realized that we were accomplishing this memory consolidation in a very efficient and quick way because we're using that sense of smell. And um, so there's a training in the certification training that I do. We go you know, in greater depth on this and the, the, the students just, they love it so much because you don't need any woo-woo to explain what's going on here. There's a kind of a hard science side to why this works. And it's right. really exciting just to learn about yeah. it. It is. So part of what you're saying that's so fascinating is is that you're allowing people in a way that doesn't have to become invasive. They don't have to keep re-experiencing, whether it's a little trauma or a big trauma. And there's a gentleness. It's very gentle. And not, not only is it gentle, but it can be very um, anonymous and, 
and private if they want. That That's I right. really don't need to know what the That's trauma right. is. Yeah. And I generally don't ask. If they want to volunteer mm-hmm. it, that's fine. Now, so in the process, like I want to know what their goal is because I want to help them, you know, find that kind of sweet spot of that really goal goal that's really exciting for them, but they're not sure they can reach it. Um, and I need to know what their feeling is because sometimes people will um when they're naming the feeling, they name something that sounds like a feeling, but it's not really a feeling, like lazy or stupid. Right. right. I feel I feel so I feel so yeah. stupid. More of that's a judgment a than a feeling. Exactly. So yeah. th- that that distinction by nonviolent communication is super valuable. And so we we teach this process. So I help them with that. I don't even need to know what the negative thought is sometimes. And but certainly I'm going to go back to the memory. That's just for them to experience. They might just mm-hmm. say, yep, got it. And it could be a specific memory or it could be a movie of a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just basically, my job at that point is I'm just guiding them to put the oils on their palms, breathe the oils in. They might take a minute or two or as long as they need. I'm just kind of acting as a very you know, gentle presence just to kind of coach them. And they tell me when it's complete and they tell me what happened afterwards. And um, so it's very gentle and um, non-invasive, absolutely. And then people just feel great afterwards. And then we work with them once they've cleared away their um, their blocks. And when they can say their goal, the, 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 per- the goal of an AFT session is by the end of it, you say your goal and there's nothing in you that says it can't happen. Right. So once that's the case, then you can formulate your affirmation and the affirmation could be the same as the goal. So let's say your goal was, I don't know, I make $10,000 a month this month or whatever it is. Um, your affirmation could be the same as that, or it could be if you got some new insights along the way, like whatever it is, I'm strong and capable, or I'm mm-hmm. gentle with myself or whatever your um, inner guidance is t- saying to you. That's what we use because that's really gold. And that's where we don't decide ahead of time what that affirmation is going to be. And then we give them the affirmation. We do it in a power pose. We're using an essential oil there as well. And this is really to kind of form that link between the smell and the good feeling. And so Mm -hmm. then afterwards, they'll say their affirmation for a few times a day for several days, uh, morning and evening, and in a power pose to really anchor into their body this new awareness that they have. So there's a kind of a beginning and a middle and an end to every session. So each session can kind of stand alone, which is, which is why I teach it to everyone. Um, people who are coaches and therapists, of course, seeing people over a longer term, that's wonderful uh, because you can kind of follow the themes from session to session. But even if you don't, every session is designed to, um, you know, leave you better than it found you. And by the end of it, you're, you're excited to move forward. Yeah, leave it better than than it found you. I love that. So I'm, I'm an addiction specialist and been sober for a very long time and, and have the privilege of teaching other people how to obtain sobriety. And as world psychology, we understand that what addiction is, is unresolved trauma, mm. right? And so just listening to you talk about the olfactory, because one thing we teach people, and I got taught in early sobriety, is that your olfactory respond very quickly. If you smell a beer, if something happens, like you mm-hmm. have a very quick trigger and that's part of why in the first year not going to bars not going to certain places where you can be around people who are consuming so just just wondering if you have found any success in an addiction is very complex but and this is simple but simple things work have you found any success with the smells with addiction i'm I'm glad you asked you know i i believe that addictions is one of the areas that we're going to make one of the biggest impacts in um right off the bat and i'll tell you why um 
instead of, uh, so addiction is kind of like a, a complex phenomenon, but what it all centers on really is the experience of craving. And so um, I took the aroma freedom technique and I said, okay, well, what is a craving? A craving is when you have imbued some outside substance with the power to help you feel better, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's a beer, a smoke, a drug, gambling, shopping, whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? So uh, so what we say in the realm of freedom, we say, well, why aren't you feeling good in the first place? And um, all we have to do is you set a goal, for instance, I am free of craving cigarettes, I am free of ca- craving sugar, I'm free of craving beer, whatever it is. And then you go through the process, you say, well, how possible does that feel? And we'll often rate you know, from zero to 10, zero is hopeless, 10 is totally possible. Oh, I feel zero, like I can't imagine not craving it, you know, I crave it so much. Okay, what's the negative thought you hear when you when you have make that statement of I'm free of craving beer? Maybe like, oh, but you love it, or it'll never happen, whatever it is. You just use the AFT process, you go back to memories, and again, the memories very likely have nothing at all to do with the addiction. Mm-hmm. They have everything to do with the internal feelings, you know, landscape. Right. And so you go back and you clear out that feeling and you say it again, I'm free of craving beer. What else? Something else, you clear that. Keep doing it. Pretty soon you get to a place where when you say, I'm free of craving beer, you're like, yeah, there's nothing in me that says I can't. And it breaks it just like that. I have a video um, on my website uh, that talks about this cravings and it, it gives the demo, a little 10 minute demo I did with someone who had been uh, addicted to Pepsi and her whole life. And she could not go a day without Pepsi. And um, if she ever tried to, she would get a bad headache. Well, we did this process with her in 10 minutes. She went back to this memory of this time when her grandmother had passed away and she couldn't go to the funeral and, you know, nothing to do with Pepsi, right? Right. And when she cleared that memory, she came back. She's like, it's gone. Yeah. I, I could care less. Next day, she went to the sub shop, did not even go to the soda, the soda fountain. Yeah. She just was done. So uh, we've had wonderful results with cravings. And like I say, I think, you know, addiction is a complex phenomenon. There's a lot of pieces to it. Mm-hmm. But any of the pieces that someone's struggling with, you can just use this process and, and clear out. So I'm really excited to see where, where that goes with the addictions area. Yeah, I love that. It's exciting. And, and so one modality has meant a lot to me is called PEER, which, which, is, which is primary emotional energy release. So it is it is have some similarities, similar properties. Most modalities have some similar properties to it. Sure, of course. And one of the things that we do is helping people to release from their body because it's, you know, if you have a physiological reaction before you, you even know what the story, you're going to stick with the physiological reaction is and teach people how to release that and finding their ways to release that. So some of them are like twist the towel. Others is, you know, writing things out and scribbling, scribbling out, like simple actions that can help. Yeah. But most people initially, their, their teenage self, so to speak, will come up very quickly and say, this feels silly, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. So curious, because the, you know, putting the essential on the hand and, and breathing it in, do you have people who have to get through that, just the idea of of intentionally doing something for themselves, one, and two, something that they think could look vulnerable to them, that feels silly? Have you have you experienced that? Well, sure, yeah. We have people come in with all kinds of preconceptions about what it is, and it's foo-foo, and it's girly, and, or whatever it is that they, they don't think is going to work. Um, but once they experience it, they, they, they believe. And so it's really just a matter of getting them into that first experience of, um, so we don't really often explain that much of what we're going to do ahead of time. Mm. I just, okay, do this, do this, do this. Okay. Smell the oil. 
And before you know it, they've had this experience like, whoa, what just happened? And so they could care less about how it looks at that point. They just want to, mm. you know, they, they really enjoy the experience. They can, they can feel its power now. Um, the, one of the nice things with the oils is they're portable. And there is something you can have in your pocket, have in your purse. And throughout mm -hmm. the day, whenever you need it, you have this little tool, this little you know, gift from God in nature, this little tool that you can use to shift your state at any time. Now, depending on the context, you know, some people will tell me, yeah, I go into the bathroom stall and I do my process so that right. people can see right. or, you know, go to my car or something. And, you know, kids, teenagers, often, you know, they're, they can be the hardest sell for, um, you know, they don't want to look silly, but right. you can find your workarounds with that. Yeah. Are there other things you use for the olfactory senses besides essential oils? No, it's, it's, we just basically, I mean, a, a lot of smells could work and, um, so I decided early on that um, instead of telling people, you know, just you can smell anything because that would be kind of a crapshoot whether it was going to do it or not. I'd say, well, here's the oils that I know work because I use them myself. I use them with my clients. I know they work. So I'm just going to train them in these basically six, roughly six oils okay. that if you have those, they're going to work. Now, if someone was, uh, you know, one day I was sitting in a field and taking myself through the process because, you know, something came up and I, was, I didn't have any oils on me. So I grabbed some grass, rubbed it together and smelled it and I had my release. So, but that's of course, that's nature. That's a natural right. scent that was, that was pleasant for me. Um, so um, there are a lot of oils that could work a lot of, you know, different scent sources that could work. Um, but, you know, to have clinical results, this is where we kind of standardize the process. We make sure mm -hmm. that we're using the specific ones that we know are going to work. Well, I think that's very important to understand that this is clinical and for people to, especially initially, to do it through someone who is certified through you and to experience it. And then I think you can start mixing up and experimenting, right? Like people can decide if something else works for them. But initially, I think it's very important to be guided through this process. Yeah, well, and also, you know, in the essential oil industry, there's a lot of adulteration. There's a lot of artificial fragrances. Right. So, you know, I didn't want to just say, oh, use any lavender that you find. Because if you go to certain stores, you're going to get something that was made who knows where, with contains mm -hmm. who knows what. And if you're deeply inhaling it into your, basically going into your brain, crossing the blood-brain barrier. So you want to be careful and make sure that the oils you use are really pure. And then, um, you know, I created the certification specifically for professionals who wanted to uh, use it with clients. So I train anyone. So you don't have to be a coach or therapist to get trained, but you can't charge for services unless you're certified by me because mm -hmm. I have the quality control that I want to make sure you might be unlocking some cans of worms and people's traumas and things like that. You know, I train people how to deal with every single situation that could come up. So Although I do also want people to be able to, you know, get the book and, and play around for themselves. You know, I don't mm -hmm. believe that you're going to hurt yourself when you do it, but I don't want you putting out a shingle saying you can help others with it unless you've been properly trained. Yeah, I think that is absolutely essential that people, and that's, that's kind of a pun, but I think that's essential <laughs> for people to really understand that this is this is not something that you sat down and said, here are three things we can do. Like, yes, this is probably being refined over the years and revisited and, and gotten to a place that you can find different different avenues people go on because people are complex, as you said. You know, the person who worked through this with me, 
um, pretty much was clear that she had not experienced someone like me before, which I hear that a lot in my life. So, but it is different as a therapist walking through a process, it's the kind of thing, but that it was still got to be unique to me. And that's what I want people to be able to experience if they go to a certified practitioner of yours. They, get, they really get to see the effectiveness, the quick effectiveness that could really happen for them. Absolutely. Yeah. I realized there wasn't enough of me and I wanted, I didn't want to be the one treating everybody. I wanted people to, I wanted to um, empower others. And this is what I loved also. This is why I left my psychology practice because I had a successful practice. And Mm -hmm. for many years I did marital therapy. I did trauma. I did kids. And um, I got to where I was getting really good results with people, but they couldn't then go home and help anybody else. They could to come back or, you know, maybe get well enough to not come back, which is great, which is what I wanted. But this was so different because I was training people, not just having their own breakthroughs, but then they were going home and they were working on their spouse and their kids mm-hmm. and their friends. And, uh, and then of course, people who wanted to do it professionally. So that's why, you know, um, it spread so much. So I realized, well, I have to let go of my psychology practice because this is really my calling to you know, do the greatest good in the world is to really train people to, you know, go forth with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you found your calling with this and that you took that risk, which is part of having secure attachment to yourself and in your marriage and being healthy and that you could help so many people. Where do you see this going? How, what, tell me about the expansion that you see happening with this. Yeah, so, I mean, my, my mission is really to get this to get this process to the whole world and in whatever form it takes. Um, you know, ultimately I want every family to know how to use this so that their kids don't have to grow up carrying around trauma, don't have to grow up um, with the negative belief and negative belief systems that they, that they have. So getting it to a place where parents can be helping their kids. Um, I want to really impact the whole mental health uh, and addictions community um, as practitioners, because what this is, it doesn't mean that people will never need therapy again. Therapy mm-hmm. has its place, you know, that, 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 that relationship, that, that kind of holding environment for people to have transformation. I, I'm a big believer in that, but this can so vastly uh, speed up the results of, you know, what people need. And I've had people tell me that you know, it's one session was better than 10 years of therapy, like literally right. better than 10 years of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to see this get into the therapeutic community um, and uh, really just, I want everyone to learn how to manage their own emotional state as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, because this is really, it's a self-care tool every bit as much as it's a clinical tool. So this is something when the practitioners, they come into the training, first thing I do is I teach them a little thing called an aroma reset, which is a little one minute technique for clearing out stress. I have them do that every day for a week. Mm-hmm. And then I have them do something called Aroma Boost every day for a week to clear away procrastination so that it becomes kind of a part of their daily habit life. So I would love to see this be a tool, you know, clinicians or not, that everyone has uh, to be able to clear things that that come up in the day. And if mm-hmm. they have that, they're not going to be carrying this stress. We know the effect that stress has on bodily health as well. They won't right. be carrying the stress into their relationships, into their parenting, um, and you know, it really is a breakthrough. It, we have the science behind why it works. It's accessible to everyone. It's not complicated. It's like I said, the, the techniques are simple. People make it complicated, but when right. you learn the techniques and you learn some of the simple things you can do, 
then um, it's really something everyone should be doing. Right. And it's very effective through Zoom. It is. Right? Yeah, it's very effective. So those of us, I mean, obviously we're in the pandemic right now. And so if, if you're able to contact Dr. Perkis and one of his many practitioners, they don't have to live anywhere near you for this to be done. They can mail you the oils that you'll need if you don't already have them. And, and you can have a very effective session through this, through this process. Yeah. And that's, you know, like I said, four years ago, I left my clinical practice and it was online. I started, I didn't know that this was going to take off online, but that's how it took off. So I've been working online for four years. So when the pandemic came in, I was busier than ever because right. I was already online and a lot of people were coming to me. They needed to pivot their practice, mm. something they could do online. And so right. um, this is as long as people have the oils and we you know, give you some ideas of how to get them mailed to you, these little samples, you know, mm-hmm. um, until you can get your own. Um, that uh, it's, yeah, something you can do from a distance as well. Yeah, no, I think that's great. All right, you're a therapist, you're a psychologist, I'm going to put you in the hot seat for All one right. second. I'm just going to ask you just a series of real quick questions and whatever comes to mind first is okay. what I want you to share with us. All right? All right, thank you. All right, here we go. First word that comes to mind when you hear connection. Mother. Mother, wow, powerful. Most normal thing about you? Um, I like doing construction projects at my house. Oh, that's great. I'm sure many people in your house benefit from that too, right? (laughs) What is your biggest fear? Um, Probably not not actualizing my potential. Mm. What surprises you the most about people? I would say when they when they see the good in front of them and they don't appreciate it. Mm. What surprised you the most about yourself? Um, that I'm still discovering things after all these years. Yeah, which is a sign of humility. You'd be very humble to keep learning after all you've accomplished. All right, if you had to give yourself a new name, what would you name yourself? <laughs> the, obviously, the phrase that came to mind was Dr. Lightheart. Dr. Lightheart. That's great. That's great. And keeping the doctor part. Okay, so thank you so much. I know everyone heard this has been blessed. If they want to get in touch with you outside of the website that I mentioned earlier and that we'll have in our notes with your podcast, can you tell us what's the best way for people to, to get connected to you? Any other Facebook, Instagram, anything? Sure. Email is ben at aromafreedom um, at aromafreedom.com. We have a little contact us button. Facebook, you can find me on as Benjamin Perkis. Um, those are pretty much the main ways. Okay, that's great. Well, if you heard something today that really resonated with you, I hope that you will reach out to Dr. Perkis and, and just kind of see where this aroma freedom technique takes you. And as always, I really hope you heard something today that really flipped your lid and that you found something in this to help you reconnect to yourself. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.